Good morning on this unknown day because we're taping beforehand. <laughs> so if it's a really great day, hey, that's awesome. If it's a really messy day outside, that's actually still okay because hopefully we're snug inside and nice and warm. We're talking about spiritual discipline, spiritual disciplines of different types. And we've looked at uh, just reading the Bible last week with Braden, talked about reading it. And this week, as a spiritual discipline, we're going to talk about mining the Bible for all it's worth. That's just another way of talking about doing a Bible study. But when we talk about doing a Bible study, people, they can get a little edgy. You know, it, it doesn't sound as exciting. It doesn't sound as much fun as getting out and doing things. It doesn't sound like as much fun as fasting, apparently. Uh, but doing a Bible study is an organized dive into God's Word. And there are ways to do it where you can get more out of it than perhaps you had thought you could. Many, many years ago, when I was involved in my first ever Bible study through a youth group, I had up to that point almost no exposure to the Bible. And the associate minister of the church was leading us through some information about Jesus. And up to that point, I'd read a lot. I had read books, uh, you know, I'd read fiction, I'd read biographies, I'd read all kinds of books. And you start at the beginning, and you read through to the end, and you've read the book. And maybe you take some notes. But a Bible study can be a little bit different than that. And we're going to look at some of the things that go into a Bible study. We're also going to talk about uh, what are the core behaviors that go into doing a Bible study from our perspective, not from the Bible's perspective, but from ours. If you do a search online on how to study the Bible, you will literally find thousands of links to ways to study the Bible. Many of them have some good value. Some of them don't. And you have to be careful with this like you would be with anything. A quick way to tell if there is value in a system is to see if it starts and if it ends with the Bible. That is to say, if it requires an outside source to interpret the Bible, it may not be a good system. If somebody says to you in a Bible study program, or somebody sitting down with you even, and saying, you can't understand the Bible, you need so-and-so to explain to you what the Bible is saying. That is an unhealthy thing. 
And in fact, before running off on that, that is one of the signs that we would associate with a cult. So if I said to you, well, you can read the Bible, but you're never going to understand it. I personally, Jeff Clark, have to explain to you what the Bible says. Then you need to move away from me and find somebody else. And that's the same with almost anyone. The Bible is designed to largely be self-explanatory. Now, there's some caveats with that that we'll talk about in a minute. But if a Bible study system doesn't start with the Bible and end with the Bible, then you may want to rethink it. Now, on the other hand, if you get to a Bible study system, you've decided to go online, you've looked up some website that says, you know what, we're going to look at the Bible. Here's what you need to understand about the Bible. Here's what the Bible says about the Bible. Here's information about the Bible. As you're getting more and more information about the Bible, you can start to look at that and say, hey, these people might actually have a grip on this. So that's just a quick thing if you're looking online for a Bible study system, or even if you go into a bookstore and you pick up a Bible study, that will help you to understand a little bit as to whether or not it's a system that you can really use. The rules for a healthy Bible study are pretty straightforward. Read openly and willingly is number one. Read in context is number two. And pray through the process is number three. Read openly and willingly. This means that you're going to read the Bible accepting that it may say things that you aren't comfortable with and that you will work through that rather than rejecting it. There are many difficult passages and accounts in the Bible, accounts of violence, savagery, and revenge. There are also many accounts of love, peace, and forgiveness. We read this to learn what is said, and that means we have to be willing to read it. The accounts that are in the Bible very often talk about regular human people who made regular human mistakes. People that we would look at and say, wow, this is a hero of the Bible. Look at Samson. Samson was a hero of the Bible. What a powerful guy. What a hero. He fought the Philistines and defeated them. He killed the lion. He, he ripped the gate. He was super powered. He was just amazing. And he was filled with problems. And ultimately gave up his faithful relation to God for the attention of a woman. And eventually restored his relationship with God. And in the proof of that restoration, he died, killing many of God's enemies. This is what I mean when I say that we need to be open 
because we're reading about things that aren't necessarily the same as they are today or it might seem that way so we are open and willing to read the Bible to see what it says and not to prejudge beforehand that's a very important step in almost anything that you read you have to be able to be willing to look at the subject and see what it says before closing a door on it beforehand context is from the human standpoint and from an academic standpoint and from just a, a functional this is actually going to work standpoint possibly the second most important thing that we're going to look at today context must be maintained through the entire process and at every level context is keeping the subject within the parameters that it was originally placed we do that as we look at the word structure the grammar the history of the books and the Bible itself context protects us from forcing revisionist concepts that is to say changing the meaning of what was written 2,000 years ago to fit our social understanding or our worldly understanding today so if we take something that happened 2,000 years ago and try and apply today's rules to it we're taking that out of context or if we read what happened 2,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago and we understand and we spend some time looking into how things happened back then then we're keeping that in context and we're going to have a better understanding of what was written this doesn't mean that we cannot consider the word as in how it relates to the modern world but when we do that we let the word that is the Bible influence the world rather than the other way around that's from the concept idea in the structure idea of grammar of uh, the the references to previous writings within the Bible context means that we actually look at what we're studying in a period in a, a series of snapshots if you will almost like taking a look at a map and now I'm going to look at Google Maps and I'm going to look at Cranston where we live so I can zoom right in on Cranston Avenue and then I can zoom out a little bit and I can see that Cranston has some other streets that connect into it and then I can zoom out and I can look at the north end and I can look at the other parts of St. John and see how they all connect in and that's a part of context and we do the same thing with the Bible in fact we're going to be doing that today with Matthew chapter 7 which is today's reading as we go through the book of Matthew in February 
Today's reading of Matthew 7, we're going to take a quick look at that to understand the context that that chapter is in, within the whole book, within the Bible. Finally, pray through the process. It is absolutely true that you can pick up the Bible and read it and learn. It is absolutely true that you can pick up the Bible, read it, learn, and understand what it is saying. However, there is an additional aspect to this, and that is the ultimate author of the Bible is God. And God listens to us and takes an active part in this process. The Bible presents itself as the Word of God. And as Christians, we understand that God wants us to grasp the Word and make it a part of us. By praying, we are engaging God in the process of study. We ask God to help us to understand, to make His meaning clear, so that we can apply His Word to our lives. A very good prayer about this can be found in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 and 18, this is what is written. So I never stop being grateful for you as I mention you in my prayers. I ask the glorious Father and God of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you His Spirit. The Spirit will make you wise and let you understand what it means to know God. My prayer is that light will flood your hearts and that you will understand the hope that was given to you when God chose you. Then you will discover the glorious blessings that will be yours together with all of God's people. This prayer that Paul has for the people in Ephesus as they study God's Word is a prayer that we can pray and ask God to help us, to send His Spirit to us so that we don't just read it but that we have that deeper understanding that He would like us to have. When we pray before, during, and after a Bible study, we're involving the person who completely gets the Word. And He has the ability to give us understanding in literally supernatural ways. I know when I was in high school and in junior high and they introduced chemistry to me, I could have definitely used a supernatural understanding because I wasn't getting anywhere with that. But as I study the Bible, there are times when things come out to me that I might have read 10, 15, 20 times and never noticed. And sometimes that understanding is uniquely applicable to some situation that I or someone near me that I'm involved with is struggling with. And I'm able to carry that information to them to help them in a way that I personally couldn't have 
on my own. So this is one of the reasons why we pray before we start a Bible study, during the Bible study, and after the Bible study, to involve the Creator of the Word in it with us to help us to understand the things that we might have missed otherwise. So we're going to look today at Matthew chapter 7, just quickly. I'm certain all of you have already got it read by now. And you're going to see the structure of context and how it's used to better understand what is being said. Not just based on what is written, but its placement within the greater portion of the Bible and of the lives of the people that it was being introduced to. Now, a couple of things that I just want to uh, mention before we get into that. There are tools that we use in Bible study. There's all kinds of different levels of Bible study. There is everything and all points in between from someone simply picking up the Bible and just starting to read. That's a Bible study. And on the far end, we have the deeply academic, highly scientific, hugely involved uh, Bible study that is done using multiple languages and multiple versions of the uh, texts and going back into the Greek and understanding the grammar of the Greek and the placement. And then at the same time, you know, Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and, and that, that stuff is honestly completely beyond me. I, I can look at little bits of Greek and, and then I'll go and look at another book to see what they say about it. And that does have a lot of value. But starting off, we might want to start with some simple tools if we haven't done a lot of this. And there's a couple of things that I want to introduce you to. The congregation uh, has the ability to use something right now called Right Now Media through the internet. Uh, you can access this. And on there, there are several uh, courses or programs on doing Bible studies on how to read the Bible, on how to uh, get a bit more out of the Word when you're reading it. And I just want to mention that quickly because that's something that is available to everybody. If you haven't yet gotten your uh, connection to that, your, your account and password and all that sort of thing, just talk to either Braden or Hazel and they will help you get set up on that and you can take advantage of some of this information. It's there, it's paid for, it's absolutely free for you and it does have good value. Something else that you can get uh, and you can get these, you can actually look up a lot of these online or you can get them, uh, buy them online or bookstore or some of us might even loan them to you. It's called a commentary. And what a commentary is, is uh, writing on, in this particular one, is a writing on uh, the book of Matthew, and it goes through it more or less verse by verse, filling in additional information, pulling out words that we can pay attention to. Uh, these have value because they will give us insights that sometimes we wouldn't notice, you know, if 
if you're not normally somebody who would go and look through the Greek, that's okay. But they have, and they will have words that we need to pay attention to because it will explain a bit of an aspect. There are some things about translating written work from one language to another language. There are nuances sometimes, little bits and pieces that we might not have understood. The local jargon of the time. This goes back to context. A word used in context can make a huge difference. The meaning of that word at a different time. Today, many words have changed meaning even in the last 10, 15, 20 years. And so someone who wrote something 20 years ago may have meant something completely different than how a word is interpreted today. Likewise, someone who was writing something 2,000 years ago may have had a meaning in their word like the word love, which we're going to look at today quickly, so that understanding its meaning originally gives more meaning to what we're reading today. So commentaries have some value. Take a look around. Uh, see if you're interested in using one. They're, they're pretty straightforward. Sometimes it can take a, a little bit uh, of understanding. There are simpler ones and there are more comprehensive ones. So if you've got some questions about that, just ask one of us. Uh, you can ask uh, Braden or myself or Lori or Hazel or uh, one of the elders would be able to give you some information on that as well. Or possibly even loan you one. My name will be in it. Bring it back. So, Matthew chapter 7. You're already up there. Before we get into the scripture itself, let's take a look at what's going on. Matthew chapter 7 starts with a series of lessons. And the first one, it starts, the first phrase is, do not judge. So, what's going on here? Well, if we go back two chapters to the start of chapter 5, we see what Jesus is doing. Now, if you've been reading along through all this, you may remember what we're in the middle of. But for someone who perhaps has just picked up a Bible and has flipped over to verse seven or chapter 7, because that's where we're starting today, Jesus has gone up to a mountainside and he has begun teaching the Jews who have come together to hear him. At the start of chapter 5, this is right after, by the way, that Jesus has been uh, tested in the wilderness. He went out, he was tempted, he resisted the temptation. He comes back in and he begins to preach. He does some miracles. He hears, heals some sick people. And a huge crowd of people begins to follow him. So he goes up to where he can be heard by everyone on the side of a mountain. And he begins to teach. Now, this section of scripture is called the Beatitudes. 
And the Beatitudes are a series of point lessons. Each individual teaching has value. In chapter 5, he talks about things like salt and light, the fulfillment of the law, murder, divorce, adultery, oaths, an eye for an eye. It continues on through chapter 6. He's still teaching on things like giving to the needy, prayer, fasting, uh, storing up your treasures in heaven, not worrying about things. And that brings us to chapter 7. So the context of chapter 7 is it is an ongoing series of lessons that Jesus is teaching to a large crowd of Jews who have gathered to listen to him because he has done miracles, because he teaches with authority in a way that the people haven't seen. And understanding this helps us to understand the way he is teaching. Understanding who he's speaking to is very important. I have referred to them twice as Jews, not to uh, make an ethnic statement about them, but understanding that as Jews, they have a learning of the Old Testament. They have learned about the law of God and the law of Moses. They have had regular teachings from the Pharisees and the Sadducees about how they're supposed to live out the law. And unfortunately, as we will continue to see as we read through Matthew, the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not always line up with the intent of God's Word. And so we start off with this phrase, Do not judge or you, too, will be judged. For, in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So here we have a reference to uh, economic issues. How do you measure out the grain that you're selling? Are you measuring it honestly or dishonestly? Have you got a false bottom in this so that a person who thinks they're getting a bushel of grain actually is getting less? Because if that's the case, that's how you're going to be receiving your value. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now, looking at this portion of scriptures, it continues down uh, to the end of verse 6. The statement here, the overall statement, to take in context, when he's talking about judging, he's talking about how people are dealing with each other on a daily basis. How do we know that? Well, let's continue on through. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We're going to stop there for a second. He's talking about people talking together talking to your brother, literally 
the person who is in your family, you're close to, you know them, but don't judge them particularly when you are a worse example of the problem. So a speck of sawdust and a plank of wood are part of the same thing. But the plank is obviously much bigger and worse. So as Jesus is talking to the people, what he's saying is, don't look at your brother, your neighbor, whoever, and say, hey, you've got a problem with that. Let me fix that for you when you have a bigger problem with it. But this verse is also one of the ones that is most commonly taken out of context. They don't finish it. And here's what happens. People say, don't judge unless you want to be judged. And they stop it there. We shouldn't judge anybody. And that is not what Jesus is saying. When we take it in context, we see that judgment isn't to happen when we've got a worse problem. Let's put this into context. If my brother, uh, he goes into a variety store and he shoplifts a chocolate bar, and I find out about it, and I go to my brother and I say, you know what, you really shouldn't be stealing uh, chocolate bars uh, from variety stores. That's, that's bad, let me help you with that. Let me, I'm, I'm gonna give you, you know, a whole bunch of teaching on how not to do that. But at the same time, I'm robbing banks. Or I am uh, cheating on my taxes. Speaking of which is coming up, tax season, or I am stealing, you know, I'm, I'm breaking into people's homes. It doesn't matter how I'm doing it. The example given here is that he's got a speck in his eye and that's a problem. If you've ever had a speck in your eye, you know it's a problem. But I've got a plank sticking out of my head. And that's where we go back to this section down here uh, in verse 5, you hypocrite first. Now here's the instruction. This is the part that gets left out. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck, speck from your brother's eye. You will see clearly to remove. This portion gets ignored. It's left out. And so we have the verse taken out of context and we're told, just don't judge. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if you're doing the same thing but worse, don't be a hypocrite and go and tell the person, you've got to stop. First, deal with your own sin. Get that sin under control and out of your life. And then, you can go and help the person who has the speck in their eye. And that's something that we should be doing. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. 
remember, again, he's using examples that the people are familiar with. This portion of chapter 7 is literally talking about giving God's word, but it could be anything. But in this case, it's giving it to people who aren't interested, are unappreciative, who could not care less. Once you find that out, don't. Because they're going to trample all over it, and then they might turn on you. Now here's the thing. Again, understanding the context. Why would he talk about that? Because that makes no sense to us. None of us have herds of pigs in our backyards. We don't have, well, some people have great gangs of dogs, but that's a different thing. The point is, this is a contextual teaching to the times where people did have large flocks of pigs. Now, the Jews didn't because pigs were unclean animals and the Jews didn't raise pigs. But they were living around Romans and Greeks and other nationalities who did. Which is why he uses this part at the start. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. The term sacred means something that is set apart by God or for God and is holy. It is special. So he uses this example of a contextual explanation that the people will understand today, back then, about how you don't take something of value and throw it into the garbage. Now, context is the issue in all of this. We prayed before we came into this. We pray as we go through it, asking God to help us to understand what's going on. We had to have an open mind to get past the don't judge anybody to get to the part about, you know what, help people once you've got your sin under control. The term that's used for judge, it's interesting, because I did look in this, uh, through that, and I was looking at the actual term for judge uh, in the Greek, uh, which is krino, by the way, and it often carries, this, this is what a commentary does for you. Judge, krino, often carries the connotation condemn, and it is in that sense that it is used here. The use of our critical facilities, or faculties, sorry, in making value judgments is frequently required in the New Testament as in verses 6 and 15 to 20 of the present chapter. There may be a place for verbal rebuke and even stronger measures in chapter 18 verses 15 to 17. This passage, however, is concerned with the fault-finding condemnatory attitude which is too often combined with a blindness to one's own failings. The least that such an attitude can expect is to be judged with equal harshness by other men. That's what a commentary does for you when you're looking through this. Now, 
as you go through Matthew, with chapter 7 today, 8 tomorrow, 9 the day after, all the way up through to the end, it's very important that you do it in prayer to get what the meaning is. Ask God to help you to get the meaning. It's very important that you do this openly and willingly. I read the Bible accepting the chance that I may not like what I read or I might not have considered what I read. A question that I very often ask other people and I also ask myself is this. If I can demonstrate to you that what you're thinking is wrong, are you willing to consider what I have to say? That there might be something different. And that's a part of the willingness that I have to have when I read the Bible. If I read the Bible and I see something that I'm, I'm kind of uncomfortable with that. Am I willing to still consider that it could be right and maybe I'm the one that's wrong? And that's what we're doing when we hit, because everybody agrees with, oh, you shouldn't judge anybody, and that's true, but we have to carry it on to, I need to take care of the sin in my life so that I can help other people struggling with that sin. Maybe I was a bank robber. Maybe I was, you know, breaking into people's homes and I come across somebody who's starting to do things like that. And because I have dealt with it, because I've repented, maybe I've gone to jail, maybe I've done whatever needed to be done to get that activity out of my life, then I can say to this person, hey, listen, I can see there's a struggle here and I can help you. And because I read Matthew chapter 7 in context. I got that. I learned that, even though maybe I wasn't comfortable with it. Particularly the idea of going to somebody and saying, hey, I see you're struggling with a problem. But that's what the Lord wants us to do. And we see that when we read the word in context, when we read the word willingly and openly, and when we do it in prayer. The Spirit will fill us with information that we did not have before. He will open our eyes so that we can understand and that we're willing to look back and forth and see what other references were. When you get a scripture in a portion of scripture, go and see what the original writer was saying and who they were talking to. That's a part of getting the context. Mining the Bible is work. It doesn't just happen. We have to invest effort. We have to invest time. But it is an activity that will repay effort multiple times. Studying the scriptures as a spiritual discipline will strengthen you, it will encourage you, it will give you the right answer for situations. How to forgive, how to stand firm, how to be willing 
to sacrifice, how to be honest, how to encourage others and love. Studying the scripture, mining it for all it's worth, as a spiritual discipline will grow you in the kingdom, in the Father, with the Spirit, in the service of Jesus. And on a day-to-day -day basis, it will repay your investment a hundredfold. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you have given us this word. And we ask that your spirit would pour into us your wisdom, your light, your grace, as we consider the word that you have sent to us, so that we might be able to apply it to our lives, to grow, to heal. That we might be able to, having grown and healed, help others to encourage to share your grace, to let people know that Jesus died on the cross for their sins so that they don't have to, that he died paying for those sins, and that after three days he rose from the dead to demonstrate your authority over life and death, and that he makes that sacrifice available everyone who wants it, to all who will call Him Lord, who will be baptized into His name and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let Your Spirit guide us to share that and give glory to Your name, Father. I pray for each one who is watching this, that Your Spirit would enfold them and close them and heal them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.